0: Welcome back, gang. This is Season 2, Episode 5 of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and even though it is raining 100 miles to the east and it is slightly windy 200 miles to the north, we're going to buckle down. We're going to give you a podcast today because we don't cancel things for no reason. We're here to talk about the BC cancellation that came from absolutely nowhere. We're going to hit the Northwestern State victory, the 10 to 14 days of almost no basketball that's going to happen as a result. And we're also going to talk with Joe Londrigan of Building the Dam, the Oregon State SB Nation site, ahead of this Saturday's late West Coast tip against the Oregon State Beavers. Let's roll.
1: Welcome back everyone to episode 5 of the 2018-2019 Aggie Hoops Weekly Podcast. I'm Blake and with me as always is my good friend David and we are celebrating a huge victory over the Boston College Eagles. Wait, wait, and, hold
0: on, hold on, wait. What? I, I really hate to, to step on your vibe there. Basketball game was not played. We did not play against Boston College due to some light rain and lighter wind. But there, it, it was rain. Why, yes there why, was no uh yes basketball, no, your, your basketball confusion played is, indoors i understand i understand i understand that as well um there wasn't there a are hurricane? No airports no no uh boston college did tweet some green and yellow radar looked pretty nasty you know the uh worldwide symbol for rain but not significant rain but no no The basketball game was canceled
1: oh <laughs> okay
0: a story a story so ridiculous that we couldn't help but lead off with it um yeah, so welcome, everyone, as Blake said, to Season 2, Episode 5 of Aggie Hoops Weekly. And on Saturday, with four hours until a 5 p.m. tip, the athletic department announced that the Boston College-Texas and basketball game literally was not going to be played, and that Boston College could not make the trip for weather reasons, a story that almost defies explanation. As I sit here riffing on this, I've, I can't even think of a time that a Power 5 game in any sport was canceled for anything less than a major hurricane. W- walk me through, like, I'm, clearly I'm struggling to talk, I'm struggling to process this. What did you make of this when you first heard that the game wasn't happening on Saturday?
1: I make of it that if you're a travel agent with an interest in supporting a sports team, there might be an opening available soon. So keep an eye, <laughs> keep an eye on job boards in the New England area. This, this was so bizarre. I don't, I don't understand. How how you could, if you're a Power 5 program, you're a member of the ACC, how do you not have travel arrangements figured out? And I get it. Okay, you know, they, they want to throw up the force field of, well, we, we are just concerned about our players' safety and we don't want to put any of our players at risk. You travel the country by airplane 15 weeks out of the year. I don't understand why this was such a big issue this one time uh, you you're in boston for god's sakes there was a little bit of rain this this is not a a huge weather event so i i'm i'm completely at a loss at this point i'm going to try to hit you with the fact pattern
0: best i have been able to piece together i would then like us to extrapolate what we feel might actually be happening behind the curtain but this is this is what i gathered on friday there was an attempt to leave the northeast That attempt did not go well. On Saturday, while they were scrambling, they were in a position to, uh, it would have been a heavy travel day. It would have been, uh, given that some of the rains had intensified on Saturday morning, they would have had to travel either via Austin or via Houston, and they couldn't get the charter flight direct to Easterwood that they wanted, and it would have caused, in their opinion, guys to be playing on tired legs, short sleep, at the agreed-upon 5 p.m. tip time. There were then two alternatives proposed from by BC. Play at 9 p.m. that same night or play on Sunday. a didn't really want to do either of those things, partially because the women's and men's game uh, was, had been billed as a doubleheader all week at, at 2 and 5, but also partially because it had been on the books at 5 p.m. for months and we just didn't really think that their excuse was was good enough. So my understanding is that BC didn't really get it together. They weren't that fluid in terms of the alternatives they were willing to accept to get uh, to the stadium and game ready by 5 p.m. It was A&M's, A&M's opinion that they pushed for that 9 p.m. tip or that Sunday tip a little too easily without really trying that hard. So we stood our grand and we said, no, the game's still on at 5, as we originally, as we originally agreed so you guys can get here. And then it fell apart and the game got canceled. And I just heard literally an hour ago, we're not returning the trip next year. So both sides continue to dig their heels in on this thing. I think this home and home is going to die where it stands. That's my understanding of the facts. Facts are not fun. What's fun is us trying to figure out what actually happened. So, Blake, go. What do you think actually happened?
1: I have two possible theories. The first is that there is some intern that works for the athletic department at Boston College who was responsible for booking this trip and jumped on Google and somehow ended up with a an address in Canyon, Texas, for West Texas A and M, mm-hmm. and and someone uh, leading into this this trip suddenly realized the mistake. Oh God, we're flying into a snowstorm. There's horrible weather. We can't make this trip. And at that point, it was the realization. Oh, you booked our trip into Canyon, not into College Station. <laughs> so I'm I'm yes. thinking maybe maybe there was a a, a misdirection. The other the other implausible conspiracy theory is that uh, Boston College heard about the potential return of Admon Gilder, which we will talk about later in this episode, and they, they simply threw their hands up and said, no, we, we don't want to be crucified in, at the hands of, of one Admon Gilder and just, you know, sulked back into, their, into the shadows of Boston.
0: The sad part about this story is that I think there's nuggets of truth in both of your clearly preposterous theories you just do out there because <laughs> I think there was a legitimate boneheaded travel move made, and I think there were injury concerns, and there were concerns about the matchup. What I, where I'm going to take us is I'm going to take us down the rabbit hole of what was going on with Boston College and their roster and the build-up to this game. Uh, their starting big man, 6'11 center Nick Popovic, had... Uh, he had been listed as questionable. He was still trying to clear the concussion protocol heading into this game. And then their all-everything point guard, Kai Bowman, was apparently ill and was really struggling with something off the court as we approached the Saturday 5 p.m. tip. And this guy, uh, Bowman, I mean, he's first-team all-ACC. And if, you, if you're if you familiar with college basketball at all, there's NBA talent for days in the ACC. So if you're first-team all-ACC, you're one, one hell of a player. I think, Blake, what had happened here, I think they were – trying to use the rain and to use the fact that these travel snafus, however they may have occurred, they were going to try to leverage this to give themselves an extra day, an extra few hours to try to get at least one of these guys on the floor. I think there was something nefarious happening here. I don't think it was an innocent travel snafu, and I don't think it was one pilot standing standing his ground and saying it's not safe to fly, which is what the official BC release would have you believe. And I, 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 in, in the parlance of Officer Brady, I declare shenanigans.
1: Yeah. I, I, shenanigans. Shenanigans, I, 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 yes. I, yeah, uh, yeah, somebody my, get,
0: get, go get your broom. I'm, I'm calling shenanigans.
1: My outlandish conspiracy theories, yes, we're, we're leading into this point. I do think something nefarious was going on. I agree with you. This clearly reeked of, we don't want to take an L on the road when we're an ACC team, and AM is clearly not going to be a tournament team based on what has been seen at this point you walk in here without two of your better players and get beat that doesn't look good for your resume overall. I think they were I think they were pretty afraid of that and we're trying to game the system a little bit to to play the cards in their favor. So, AM called their bluff and I'm actually quite pleased with the athletic department for not returning the home and home and, you know, calling the deal off. Boston College was in breach of the contract. I'm content to Let the thing die on the vine, and we'll go find somebody else for next year.
0: Well, let's expand a little bit on the conversation you and I had offline, because we were both impressed with the language, the official language we saw come from both the AD and from Kennedy. So expand on that, because that was a little more inflammatory from our end than you typically see, right?
1: Agreed, yeah. So typically when you see communications, everybody is very magnanimous, very gracious. Oh, there was no fault of anyone's. No, no. In in A and M's press release, they they clearly stated that that they were perplexed by the the situation and didn't understand why Boston College didn't ha- didn't make adequate travel arrangements and didn't feel like there were any substantial risks to Boston College traveling to College Station in in, in the time frame that that made sense. This is something you don't see from athletic departments in general this is kind of like an NFL team calling out another NFL team those things just don't happen because the league doesn't allow it college sports tend to be a lot of the same you don't see one athletic director calling out another athletic director it just doesn't look good unless there's bad blood or obviously you're calling shenanigans and once again A&M was calling shenanigans on the whole thing so I think that that was a very public stance, and it certainly put Boston College on the defensive, but every press person I've seen, every writer and TV personality that's talked about this that I've seen has all kind of scoffed at this notion that it was unsafe to travel when you had plenty of other games going on in the region on that weekend. So I don't, I don't see any issues there where A&M comes out of this with a, with egg on their face or look, it being portrayed in a negative light.
0: I don't think so either. And yeah, I'll just say that it, it really is the an overly sanitized corporate communications world. That's what college sports has become. And the language we used was tantamount to like the slapping of the face with the gauntlet, right? It was, you know, in, in the overly clean communications world that college sports has now become, we basically said, y'all are liars. <laughs> You're liars and you should have been here. So I found that interesting, but I don't really want to waste any more time On the cancellation, only to say that it was ridiculous. And I hope this isn't true, but there's a chance that it goes down as the most interesting thing that happened to us this year. So (laughs) we do have to
1: at least touch on it. All right. So, with that being said, let's jump in and talk about the game we actually did get to play this past week the Northwestern State Demons. Yes, let's
0: do it. They came to town on Monday night, paid us a visit to Reed Arena, the epitome of a paycheck game, as we mentioned in our previous episode. They were far none the worst remaining opponent on our schedule, and things effectively played out that way. We jumped out to a 18 point or a 14 point rather halftime lead, 38 to 24. I will say the my only slight nitpick here is that Northwestern State did play us shot for shot in the opening portion of the second half, and we didn't really pull away until there were eight to six minutes left. So our ones and even some of our eight man rotation, you know, the six, seven, and eight, they played a bit more than I would have liked, but. Ultimately, I'm picking nets in what was a 80 to 59 victory. So, we can unwind a couple of the better individual contributions, but the guy that stuck out to me was Wendell Mitchell. He really had his first, I would say, truly impactful game on offense. He shot well from beyond the arc, three for seven, which by our standards is you're basically you have basically struck gold if someone goes three for seven from beyond the arc. <laughs> but more than that, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I thought he actually played well and looked comfortable on the ball in the point position. He only had one assist, but he did something that I haven't seen us really try to do that often this year. Uh, Mitchell seemed interested in getting us into sets and he seemed interested in running plays. And I'm interested to hear your take on on how things looked in the 23 minutes where he was in the game.
1: That was the most encouraging thing I saw in this game. Was was Wendell Mitchell at the point facilitating an offensive flow rather than just running the uh, Harlem Globetrotters three man weave while while Sweet Georgia Brown plays.
0: Yeah, he we we ran an offense. He yeah.
1: he ran an ex- and executed an offense. This was outstanding. So as you said, he shot the ball well. He was five for ten from the field on the night. Had led the team in scoring with eighteen. I was thoroughly pleased with his contributions. Went five for five from the line, you know. Hey, a, a point guard who can shoot. This is this is a, a new occurrence for us here in the recent past. So I, I was quite pleased with his with his contributions. Like you said, he didn't. Ha- he only had the one assist, but he did seem to do a better job of facilitating the offensive flow.
0: And that's not nothing, right? Because we talked about the knock-on effect of the the troubles we've had with Stark's unwillingness to get other people involved. And if we can have somebody who can free Stark's up, relieve him of that responsibility, occasionally stick an open three, that can pay dividends in more than one way. So it's Northwestern State. We'll tap the brakes, listeners. We're not anointing this guy the second coming. But – we're also a four and four basketball team. Shit, we're a three and four basketball team. We're we're just gonna grab we're gonna grab positives anywhere we can find them. And uh, watching the way the offense flowed with him at the point is a positive.
1: I agree. I think it was absolutely a positive. There were a couple of guys I, I felt like you saw really positive contributions from. It was nice to see the the, the reemergence of Josh Nebo after he kind mm-hmm. of fell off the face of the earth. That's SEC blocks leader Josh Nebo. Indeed, you, it, is. Indeed yeah. it is. Indeed, it is. He played rather well in this game. I was very pleased with him. He did a really nice job crashing the glass, picked up several blocks. I I, I thought his contributions on the night were pretty solid, had some nice dunks. So it's always a good thing when he gets involved. It really seems to spark the team. And I really, you felt like that was missing, especially against Minnesota and against Washington in, in the tournament in Vancouver. He just flat out disappeared, and it really was kind of a worrying trend. So once again, we're not saying that uh, he is the second coming of Robert Williams and that he's going to, to solve all of the Aggies' Ale's. But I, I do think that this is a good opportunity for him to to get his feet back underneath him, get it some confidence back in his game after he battled foul trouble a bit and and get back in the stat sheet in a real positive way.
0: It sounds like you're excited about our front court there. So I'm, I'm just going to have to squash that real quick.
1: I'm tickering my optimism, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're excited uh, at least slightly about our front court. So I feel compelled to inform you that in the immediate aftermath of this game, the athletic department and Billy Kennedy in conjunction announced that Isaiah Jc was transferring from the program effective immediately. He had been in straight clothes for the last two games. People didn't really know why, but we had feared the worst, and the worst was confirmed. He's gone. Uh, we're limited to eight scholarship players. We're limited to two traditional big men. So jump back in. Let's hear your new take on what you think <laughs> about our front court in the
1: in light of this news. We have no big men. Our pets' heads are falling off. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt like JC had turned a corner, and I felt like he was really starting to offer some positive contributions. Obviously, I I think that he wasn't satisfied with the level of contributions he was being allowed to give. I, I don't think he likes the minutes that he was getting, and I don't know. I feel like there was a real significant barrier with JC and Kennedy in in this situation.
0: Well, let, really quick, I just want to interject really quick. Let's talk minutes really quick because I've, I've got them pulled up. Okay. 10, 8, 11, 8, 8. In the five games before he presumably announced behind closed doors he was going to leave, how much was he looking for exactly? Because I feel like that's pretty good given the type of basketball we want to play and the makeup of our roster. He was solidly a member of the nine man rotation. You're getting 10 minutes a game. Michael Wooloo is leaving at the end of the year. I. A struggle. What what was he after exactly?
1: I think he wants more in the range of the fifteen to twenty minute uh, well, I think he wants the twenty five to thirty minutes that you're seeing from Mekawulu. but I think what he honestly would be satisfied with is something in that fifteen to eighteen range you see from Nebo or John Walker. I think that, that the emergence of John Walker as as a stretch four has, has really played into this winter of JC's discontent. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he ever got those minutes that he expected to get, especially with two guys like Mekawulu and Nebo coming in. Even when Nebo was, was struggling, and even when he was getting into foul trouble, you you said it yourself, he was getting eight to ten minutes a night, and, and he actually was kind of one of the catalysts in, in the Washington game. Really provided a spark in that game, and it, it just never manifested anything you never felt like he was rewarded for his contributions it always felt like he was kind of in the doghouse and there's always those interpersonal relationships that you have with a person where you just never seem to hit it off and i i feel like that's what you see here with jc and kennedy i think kennedy had certain expectations and jc had certain expectations and they just never really met they never really got on the same page in that regard
0: well let's talk about the aftermath now because now we're left with legitimately eight scholarship players including Walker who you mentioned including Chris Collins so now I'm I'm starting to wonder can this team survive in any other context besides a world where no one gets hurt and no one is ever in foul trouble I, I mean we could see some really odd pairings and some really odd roster combinations right if, if things go even slightly off kilter th- for the rest of the year
1: Oh, yeah, when you get to play some of these SEC teams that have some pretty solid front courts and some pretty big guys, you're going to see this team get in foul trouble and you're going to see some really crazy combinations and some really weird looks. And we're going to get dominated on the boards. It's not going to be pretty points in the paint are just going to be outrageous. It's not going to be a pretty sight when when those things happen because inevitably they will.
0: In, In the Minnesota game there was a stretch where walker was our was our stretch for for about a 4 minute passage of time where minnesota had two legit bangers on the floor And it was not pretty. It was a beatdown. These guys were backing Walker to within an inch of the basket, and rebounding at will. So yeah, I think it's it's going to be a problem. Any team that plays, for example, the way we played last year is going to run roughshod over us. But even just a regular team who only has one big man than a stretch four, even they could find success if we if we get in foul trouble. I do want to note real quick, my numbers were slightly off earlier. It's nine scholarship players, so we have the eight. The eight-man rotation, we've basically been running. And then Collins is on scholarship. He's the ninth. So that's that's what we're working with. But to our earlier point, two of those nine are traditional big men. So we're really going to have some problems on the glass uh, in conference play.
1: So in addition to the news about JC, uh, we got some additional information about Admon Gilder. There was a report early on November 28th that Admon Gilder was going to leave the program and declare himself eligible for the NBA draft. Now, that report has since been refuted by Aggie Basketball and by Billy Kennedy, so there's still some open questions as to what we might see here, but I think that there's obviously questions. We talked about this quite a bit last week in trying to you know, sell a positive position. It's really hard to do that without the possibility of seeing Admon Gilder later this season.
0: Right. Any any optimism we had preseason was couched in his playing 30 minutes a game. Our pessimism in the new world is based on the fact that he's not playing any minutes a game. But let's pull that thread just a little bit because we're starting to hear, if not positive momentum, then at least the denial of negative momentum <laughs> regarding his health. It seems like people are not as willing to call him definitely out for the year as they were even two weeks ago. So what have we seen on that front?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned, after this report came out that he was going to shut it down for the rest of the year, Aggie Athletics and Billy Kennedy both came out and said, no, that is incorrect. We're still hoping to see Admon, still hoping that that he can make progress. He's still continuing to battle through his injury. And then in response to a Reed Rowdy's tweet on Friday night, Admon responded something about, you'll see me again tomorrow. And I, I found that personally to be a cryptic message that we could possibly see his return against Boston College. So that was a somewhat optimistic turn of events. And I'm hoping that there's a moment next week against Oregon State where I get to tweet out a, a by God that's Admon Gilder's music with the Undertaker sitting up, and we, we all cheer the triumphant arrival of the hero just in time to save the day.
0: It, it's more possible than it seemed a week ago, right? It, it really is. So the interesting thing here is we couldn't find the article that broke the news or was one of the outlets to break the news around a month ago from TexAgs, who noted that Admon was going to be out for the year definitively. That article has been pulled from the Internet. So I, you combine that with some of the quotes from Kennedy, where he seems to be dis- distancing himself from those projections the AD doesn't seem as willing to comment on it anymore. You talked about Gilder's response on Twitter specifically. I think there's a chance he does come back. I'm going to protect against it. I'm going to assume he doesn't. That's just a me way to handle this information. I'm just going to assume he's not coming back. But no, it certainly is possible. I think. I mean, it would be a fun story. It'd be a fun way to to kind of get some momentum in the, into the as we move into the second third of the year.
1: I agree. I think. Even if he does come back, we're going to have to temper our expectations a little bit. Obviously, he's coming off of a pretty significant injury. So you're going to have to look at this situation with a little bit of glass-half-full optimism just to say, look, it's a good thing he's back and take it for what it's worth. He's not going to be 100% the first time he steps on the floor. But hopefully, with the rest of the month of December on the table, he can he can get some good minutes, get his legs back underneath him, and hopefully have some positive momentum going into conference play if he is as close to coming back as we might want to believe he is. I'll
0: tell you what, his return would truly unlock the fast-paced play because we would have no other option. And we'd have the horses to, to press and to run and do whatever we wanted to for 40 minutes we would know that with how shallow our front court is, we wouldn't be able to win any other way. So no, I think we really, would, we we would turn it up. We would fly as fast as we could if he came back. So that would be another fun wrinkle.
1: Agreed. And I think that the, the biggest upside of what he offers you is shot making ability. Mm-hmm. You look at the game against Northwestern State and you feel like, oh, well, A&M had a really nice night from the floor. They shot 48%. was a really pedestrian percentage last year, and now we're heralding 48% field goal percentage as a tremendous victory. And and when you look at the Aggies being 7 for 24 for 29% from three-point land as being a a positive change in momentum, that is not a a good look for the program. So at this point, you're hoping that Admon's return can certainly spur a positive direction in in field goal percentage and in three-point percentage.
0: I agree. I really hope we get to see him soon. Hopefully, as soon as this Saturday night, when we play Oregon State in Portland, Oregon. It's a late game. It's a West Coast tip, 10 p.m. local time. And we're going to chat with Joe Londrigan of SB Nation's site, Building the Dam. And he's going to give us the lowdown on the Oregon State Beavers.
1: Welcome back. We're here with Joe Laundergan from Building the Dam with the Oregon State SB Nation site. And Joe, welcome to Aggie Hoops Weekly. Hey, thank you guys
2: for having me on. It's a pleasure.
0: Appreciate you joining us, Joe. I'll get us started here. I'm curious to hear your thoughts through the opening eight games of the season. We're, we're at the time of year where we are very quietly almost, or maybe even more than a quarter of the way through the college basketball season. How has the team performed relative to your early expectations?
2: Uh, There's six and two so far, which is... Right around where I think we expected him to be. Um, lost to St. Louis last night was a little tough. But um, I think if we're, we're playing just about as well as I'd hoped in terms of uh, the non-conference slate. The real test is going to be how they can actually perform when conference play starts. Um, that's going to be, I think, the deciding factor in whether or not they get a tournament berth. But um, overall, I think uh, I think we're looking pretty well.
0: So I, I want to expand on that just, just a bit more. What's the expectation from your end heading into this game? Looking at the slate uh, I've got pulled up here, it looks like we're probably the last test. It looks like there's you're going to coast a bit heading into Pac-12 play. Do you see this as a must-win game, or how do you assess the, the non-conference resume as you head towards conference play?
2: This would definitely help. I think A&M... Um other than maybe St. Louis, I think that was probably the best opponent in terms of, you know, the resume check that we're going to do at the end of the year. I think this is the best opponent that they're going to play in non-conference. So I think this is definitely important. I don't know if it's must win, but it's it's definitely up there.
1: So what kind of style of play can we expect from the Beavers? You guys have it looks like five players that are 6'10 or taller. So hmm. I'm expecting kind of an inside out game. Is that an accurate representation of what we would expect?
2: Yeah, the strength of Oregon State right now is definitely the front court. Uh, Trey Tinkle's playing really well. The Thompson brothers, Ethan and Stevie, uh, add a nice dimension to that as well. The front court is looking significantly better than I think a lot of us expected this year. I think very few people doubted that Trey Tinkle was going to have a big year this year. Like I said, the backcourt wasn't really a lot of people's worries. Um, But with the frontcourt and Drew Eubanks leaving last year, that was a lot of people's concern. But got to hand it to Kyler Kelly and uh, Big G, as they call him. Uh, They're playing tough right now. Kelly's actually leading the Pac-12 in blocks. And uh, Rakicevic's Big G, he's got the best field goal percentage in the Pac-12 so far. So the frontcourt playing a little better than I think we expected, but... The backcourt's definitely the strength.
0: Well, I've got some good news for you, Joe, in terms of your your multiple players that are that are quite tall. I've got a quick pull-up of the Ken Palm stats here. It looks like you guys are at or around the top 50 in block percentage, offensive rebounding rate. A whole host of things that we are not going to be able to stop because we only had three scholarship forwards as of four days ago. Three days ago, one of them announced a the transfer. So Blake and I have been lamenting matchups exactly like this. Uh, I fear we could be in for a long day on the boards. What else would you expect to see against a team like a and
2: I think from watching Josh Nebo and Savion Flag, I think they're pretty solid guys. I think if, uh, like I was talking about, Kyler Kelly and uh, Rakicevich, if they have good, solid days, I think Oregon State has a good chance to win this one. But um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, executing and keeping people healthy because Oregon State, I think, has more talent than I think they've had in some years past. But it's just a matter of, like, who's going to get injured. And I think everyone's kind of looking at each other right now, like, all right, six and two, this is a little too good to be true for Oregon State men's basketball right now. And,
0: and if we can just make a quick gentleman's agreement here, if you, if you guys can just promise to not get our big men in foul trouble and just be bros about it, like that we
2: could, it would be more fun for everybody that way.
1: <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be a real solid.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think you'd have to talk to them about that, but I think Oregon state's actually being fouled less than any team in the PAC 12. So that might be, you know, you do with that information what you
1: will, I guess. So you mentioned Trey Tingle. He's a pretty stellar player from what I've seen. You know, at this point, he's averaging 20 points a game. Can you talk a little bit more about his game and, and kind of his background, where he comes from?
2: Yeah, he's a very good shooter, very good all-around player. And, uh, of course, the the team leader being the coach's son. That's kind of a natural position, I guess. But yeah, if he can get a little bit of space on the outside, he'll definitely be a big issue. He'll he'll be a big issue for whoever Oregon State plays. Since he's come back from a wrist injury about a year and a half ago, he's just been playing like he needs to make up for lost time. And luckily, his form hasn't really taken too big of a hit from you would expect with a wrist injury, but... He's uh, he's playing really tough right now, and I would put him as definitely one of the better guards in the in the Pac-12 right now.
0: I'm going to take things off the court ever so slightly. I know this is not a true home game for you guys, but it's a de facto home game. It's played in Portland, Oregon. Looking at the Ken Palm profile for you guys, they don't even bother calling it a neutral site game. They're calling it a home game as well. What kind of crowd? Do you guys draw to Portland? Is that close enough for the students to make a significant impact? Is it more of the business casual recent graduate crowd? What kind of atmosphere are you expecting on Saturday?
2: You know, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a full crowd or anything, but there's a lot of Oregon State grads in Portland. And um, in terms of fan support, it's not football or baseball. People People get excited for college basketball, so it'll – I think – in, not in terms of size, but in terms of passion, I think it'll be interesting. Just because the people that that make a point to go to Oregon State basketball r- basketball games really love, uh, really love their Beavers, um, and of course the Moda Center is a really really nice arena. If um, you know if you haven't been to a game there, that should definitely be on like your sports bucket list, especially if you find yourself in the Pacific Northwest for whatever reason.
0: You know, Joe, it sounds like we're somewhat kindred spirits. You're basically describing a lot of the same things I tell people about A&M basketball, which is that the numbers may not always be there, and you traditionally associate our fans with football and even baseball to a certain extent, but the people who show up love it. It sounds like we're going to be looking at a similar atmosphere this Saturday. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it. I'm slightly less looking forward to the 10 p.m. tip. That's a little tough for us central time zone folks, but we'll somehow we'll manage. Uh, really quick here, before we let you go, What's your official prediction for the game on Saturday night?
2: I think Oregon State's going to win. I think it'll probably be a relatively close game. I'll take it by like less than 10 points, but I think Oregon State will win. They've been getting better, but, you know, they like to keep it close for whatever reason. So I'm taking Oregon State in a close win.
1: All right. Well, before we let you go, Joe, is there anything you'd like to plug for building the dam or your Twitter address or anything like that?
2: If you feel so compelled, you can check out buildingthedam.com, learn a little bit more about Oregon State sports. Um, follow us on Twitter at buildingthedam, Dam. And then uh, I do way too many different sports-related projects. If you want to um, follow me, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. I promise I'm a lot less awkward when I am not making stuff off the top of my head I'm actually writing it out. So there you go.
0: <laughs> well, thanks again for your time, Joe. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys.
1: Thanks again to Joe Laundergan from Building the Dam, the Oregon State SB Nation site, for joining us this week. David, what are your predictions for this game?
0: My predictions aren't good, Blake. Through our prep for the conversation with Joe, the conversation itself, I've learned that they're basically built to take advantage of the JC transfer. They've got height for days. They attack the rim. They protect the rim. Their offensive rebounding rate is very high. They get to the line at will. I'm a little nervous. I know he said they don't get to the line that often, but they attack the rim. They're aggressive. I could see a world in which our bigs are just in foul trouble. And as we alluded to earlier in the episode, if our bigs are in foul trouble, I just don't think we win this year. So that's going to be a huge, huge part of what we need to do. I fear this is one of those chess matches where we're just going to bump up against an opponent that's designed to beat us.
1: I agree. I think you're going to see foul trouble for Nebo, especially maybe not so much on Mekawulu's part, but you're going to see A and M dominated on the boards, both offensively and defensively, and it's just going to be too much for the Aggies to handle in this one. Maybe they have a chance to keep it close, but I think you're looking at probably a 10 to 15 point loss in this case. I mean, you're you're looking at going on the road back to the great wide Pacific Northwest and taking a loss up there again. So I, I sense a recurring theme here.
0: I say we just never go to the Northwest again for any reason in any sport. That's that's my, that's my going to be my takeaway from all this. Uh, but, yeah, buddy, I'll talk to you here in about a week. We'll have a midweek game against Valpo, a Saturday game against Marshall, and hopefully, who knows, maybe we can chat about a 3-0 and week and, dare I say it, a little bit of momentum heading into conference play.
1: All right, looking forward to it. Talk to you soon.